Thank you, folks, for the wonderful uh, worship experience of music uh, this morning. Aaron, I, I sit there, and I, you don't think I notice, right? But he adds little things here and there. Into, did you notice his piano playing today? I don't think he normally has that, that build in between those verses, all right? You just don't think I'm watching or listening, right? I am. Uh, those, some of those songs were actually some of my favorite of the faith. And can it be? I just love that one. And, and that one we just sang certainly is, is one I highly enjoy. All right, so we're continuing our study of uh, the book of Galatians, the letter of Galatians. It is a letter, a letter written by someone who is obviously, uh, obviously knows what the gospel is all about. This series, uh, No Other Gospel, is the, is the idea of looking at all the things that we have at, um, that are true for us because of our faith in the gospel. Now, I'm going to start off this morning by asking you um, to consider something. And so I don't want to get too far into this consideration, but I want to just uh, mention that I think I have to go ahead and wake this up again. Let's see if that... Okay. Oh, that's why. I got it. Never mind. It wasn't them. It was this little doohickey. All right. There we go. I want to pause right at the beginning to consider our identity. All right, we're, we're, we're talking about this gospel thing. And as you sit here this morning, I don't know what goes through your mind when you hear the word gospel. Uh, when I served in the military, you can imagine that uh, as I talked to people about the gospel, I, I would ask the person, well, what is the gospel? They, I, I heard this many times. It's not a reason to laugh or chuckle, okay? Um, this, is, this is real life, and there may be someone here that thinks this way, and I, I don't want to embarrass anybody as I chose not to embarrass these people when they gave me the, the response, oh, the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That was their level of knowledge about the gospel. They, they understood. I was thankful they knew there were four books within the Bible labeled the gospels, Right? And so, but it does help you understand where they are on, the, on their level of understanding of Scripture and their level of understanding of the gospel. Because when we say no other gospel, we're not talking about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're talking about the content of what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John express. It's the story of Jesus. It's the story of how God became a man that we celebrate at Christmas, lived a sinless life, uh, in between the services, I was talking with someone and, and uh, talking about how Jesus is the only one to totally fulfill the law perfectly without sin. And that he lived this sinless life and then he hung on that cross to pay for our sins, not for his, as a substitutionary sacrifice, an atoning sacrifice for you and for me and for all people. And this gospel talks about him as, as a person, as, a, as God become man, lived this in this life, die on the cross, he was buried, and then he resurrected. You don't have good news, which is what the gospel means. The word gospel means good news. You don't have good news without the resurrection. And so, praise God, we celebrate the resurrection every Sunday when we come here in the name of our Savior Jesus Christ to worship Specifically, we, we recognize that that day as Easter Sunday uh, when he rose from the tomb. And then days later, he ascended into heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, has this ministry today as we are sitting here, has this ministry of being an advocate, 
by uh, sitting at the Father and, and, and constantly interceding for us and knowing that his death on that cross was able to pay for all sins of all time, right? And this same Jesus who has done all that and is doing that right now is also coming back. And until he comes back, we're supposed to be busy about doing what it is he's called us to do. So as I ask you to pause to consider our identity, I'm not hiding the fact that I'm talking about your identity in Christ. And you may be here this morning and you have no identity in Christ. You're just hearing Jesus. You're hearing someone talk about Jesus for the first time seriously, right? Talking about this person in a way that hopefully is respectful and honoring and, and loving, right? Because that's, that's my Savior, Jesus is my Savior, and he's, many the, he's the Savior for many within this room. But maybe you, you don't have an identity in Christ. But we're, we're going to talk about identity in general first, and then, then we'll narrow it down to our identity in Christ. So there, there's two spheres for us to consider when we talk about identity. There's the physical sphere, and there's the spiritual sphere. And so we all have a spiritual, uh, excuse me, a physical sphere. Our identity in the physical sphere is characterized by ethnicity, uh, social status, gender, employment, family, and all kinds of other things. If I were to ask you this morning, you know, how do you identify yourself? That's a conversation that is happening within our world. It's happening all the time. And people say, well, I identify this, I identify as this, I identify as this. And, and we can be frustrated with their answers. But should we be frustrated? If they just are, if they don't understand the gospel, right? But I'm just saying, listen, we can, all of us have a, I, I can sit here before you today and say I'm a 50% Irish, otherwise some French and some spattering of other uh, ethnicities, right? But 50% Irish and, and French uh, is in there. Um, I'm a, I'm a, I would consider myself middle class. I think most of us in the room probably would say that. Uh, uh, gender, I'm a male. Uh, employment, I work for you. Uh, family, well, family, that's dynamic because I could be the husband of Christine. I can be the father of one of my kids. I can be the grandfather of my little grandbaby, Riker. Uh, I could be, you know, the in-law. I could be anything when it comes to family. But all these things we, we use to identify us in this physical sphere. And, uh, and I think it's something we need to, that will help us enter into a discussion that we're going to get into because, our identity in the spiritual sphere is less complicated, all right? It's only one of two things. We learned this in 1 John when we studied that. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest, right? We, we know in the, in the spiritual sphere, there's only two possibilities, child of God or child of the devil. And so as we consider this, unbelievers have a crisis of identity. So work with me on this one. Be patient with me. I'm doing a word play here. It'll come evident here in a minute. But unbelievers, those who have not come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ, they, they don't fully understand who he is, and they really just don't understand what he's done and why it matters to them. That's what I mean when I'm saying an unbeliever, right? Someone who has not come to the point of discovering who Jesus is, right? Unbelievers have a crisis of identity. Think about that terminology there, a crisis of identity. I think it's a crisis for someone to know that they're in danger when they don't know it, all right? Someone is legitimately in danger, and they don't know it. 
And this is the world when it comes to faith in Jesus Christ. In the spiritual line of thinking, the world is in a crisis of identity. They want to be identified in any number of ways. Either having rejected Jesus Christ formally or really ignorant of Jesus Christ. And they're in this crisis of identity. They, they are identified by this tribe, this tongue, this nation, this belief, this political party, this whatever it might be. They are, they are identifying by all kinds of things, but they, they are not identified by Christ. And therefore, they are in a crisis that they may not even realize. And most of them will say they don't realize it until they actually come to faith. It says here that these children of the devil are manifest. And this is what describes them. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. This is the, this is the crisis for them. They are not able to practice righteousness. It's not like they're not good enough. It's like they can't practice what can only be practiced when someone has faith in Jesus Christ, the righteous. So we learned all this as we studied 1 John and we went through it. But I want us to understand that Paul is not addressing the identity of unbelievers in his letter to the Galatians. But when we, as, we, as we go from broad to narrow, I want us to understand that we live in a world that does not have this identity of which we're going to talk about today. Believers don't have a crisis of identity, but they often have an identity crisis. Now, this may describe you. It certainly describes me at different phases of, of my growth in Christ. Uh, when I first became, when I first, I, say my test, I, I shared my testimony just a couple weeks ago, but I, I will say that, that when I came to faith, I had the, my upbringing within the Roman Catholic Church which I told you time and time again I'm thankful for because I learned so much, but there were some aspects of it that I, I didn't quite understand, and, and uh, so I, was, I had that in my mind. I had two brothers that, that left Roman Catholicism and became members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which is uh, uh, we, we often call the Mormons, right? They would prefer we call them members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. If you're ever sharing the gospel with them, uh, then please call them what they are, right? Sometimes certain Mormons are offended if you use the term Mormon. They would choose the, the latter, latter term. I think we ought to always speak respectfully to those that we're, speaking, that we're trying to share the gospel with. But I had Roman Catholic teaching in my head. I had Mormon teaching uh, in my head. And, and I had biblical teaching in my head because I had come to faith. I was genuine faith. But I was a confused individual, and I really didn't have a confident identity in Christ yet. I didn't know then what I know now. And you may be there, you may be one of those people here in the room today. You came to faith minutes ago, hours ago, days, weeks, months, maybe just a couple of years. I don't know. But I want to encourage you today that if you have come to faith in Jesus Christ, you have an identity. And you need to understand it more fully so that you can avoid these times of identity crisis. It's a genuine identity you have. But it's confusing, and you're not sure exactly how to live it out. So what is our identity as Christians? We're going to talk about that today. How do you identify as a Christian? Right? What are, what are some of the things that are to be true of you? So we're going to be studying Galatians 3, 26-29, the last four verses that were read by Chris earlier. And um, so thankful for the folks that volunteer to read Scripture. We would love for you to volunteer uh, to read Scripture. I, I, it was well done. And uh, so I'm thankful for, for he and Doug who read today. 
but as we look at these four verses, we're going to consider this, this main thought. No other gospel, the name of the series, right? No other gospel gives sinners like you and me the new identity of children of God. Now, this is a, a early lesson that people learn when they come to faith in Christ. The, the Gospel of John tells us that only those who come to faith in Jesus are able to be called children of God. We just looked in 1 John where it, 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 it was teaching us the, the same idea, that they're only children of God or children of, of uh, the devil. And those who have come to faith in Jesus as a person, as a fully God and fully man, who did the only work that could be done for salvation, which is dying in our place on that cross, right? His personal work, when when someone comes to that truth and that understanding, sinners have a new identity. Now, I'm going to pause in my pause as we're considering our identity and ask you today, do you get excited about your identity in Christ? As a Christian here today, we're, we've, we've narrowed down. As a Christian today, has your Christianity become complacent? Has your Christianity become distant from the things that maybe you used to do in your faith? Um, I've been around Christianity for decades now, and there are times when you are just so centered on the Word of God, centered on your relationship with God, that life is just like, wow, it's just glorious. And then there's times where things wane, and you might drift. Hebrews chapter 2 talks about how how can we neglect so great a salvation. And and, and in the context there, it's talking about a little drifting. We may drift. I want to take the time today to just ask you folks to pay attention to your identity in Christ. And allow the words, God's word, to come into your heart and mind and enliven you to what you have in Christ. And so we're going to look at this because we have a new identity. I've never gotten over my salvation. I am humbled at this, this, the truth that I am not what I used to be. Uh, I, in the first service, I shared this, and I don't want to forget to share it uh, now. In one of the hymns we just sang, one of my favorites, right, says, Amazing love, isn't it? Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? It's a truth that we celebrate at Christmas uh, with, uh, with, with uh, how can it be that thou, my God, uh, that he came into this world, and then at Easter that he should die for me. How, how can it be that my God died? But he died for me. And then here's my testimony, and maybe it's yours. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. This is the message that Paul was writing to the Galatians. Remember, up to this point in the text, Paul has been telling him, you don't need anything else but faith in Jesus Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith, uh, he, t- he says to the Ephesians. But here he says, listen, these people were, were being deceived. They were being uh, confused. They were being told that they had to have a faith in Jesus, but they also had to obey the the law. And and Paul is telling them, no, 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 no. You add anything to faith in Christ, and you have a false gospel. He said in the very beginning, the first chapter, even if an angel from heaven comes and gives you and and tells you of a different Jesus, preaches a different gospel, anathema, eternal damnation be on that one. Because there is only one gospel. 
And it's the one that sets people free. And just prior to this text in, 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 the, in, ch- in chapter 3, Paul had told the Galatians, the law of God that, that you're being told you have to observe, it was your prison guard. You were imprisoned by the law. It was your, because you could not f- fulfill the aspects of the law that you were called to fulfill, you were, you were a prisoner to it. He says, long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. Do you remember the day where the gospel made sense to you? Where the truth that you can be forgiven for your sins. You are not bound by sin anymore. You're no longer slave to sin. You're a slave to righteousness. I'm telling you right now, the dungeon flamed with light. My dungeon was my dorm room. And this is, this is the reality of what happened. In that moment, my eyes were open to the love of God shown through the person and work of Jesus Christ in my life. I realized I was not that person that he wanted me to be. And the only way I could be that person is by receiving Christ as my Savior. It goes on to say, my chains fell off, my heart was free. And if you knew the sin I was involved in, this expresses the joy. My chains fell off, my heart was free, I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? Thank you, Aaron, for for picking that particular song today because I have a new identity in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any person be in Christ, they are a new creation. Old has passed away. Behold, all things become new. I'm paraphrasing it, but I'm telling you, Paul teaches it consistently. It's taught consistently through the, through, through the New Testament that we have a new identity. And I want you, one, to know that you have that identity. Two, I want you to rejoice in that identity. Third, I'm hoping that you will share that identity with others and invite people to discover who Jesus is. So Christians have an identity, and it's based on their faith in Jesus Christ. This is pretty much everything I've been talking about up to this point. But in the text we see, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. This is the common foundation that all Christians of all time, of all over the world have. But we're going to walk through this so we don't just skip right over it. We're going to walk through it word by word, in a sense. He says, you... This you is talking about in the context of Galatians, the justified ones, the ones that can stand confidently before God saying, I am righteous. And we we stand there confident before God, not in a boastful, prideful way, because Paul says, I boast in only the cross. That's all I boast in, because it was only through Jesus that I can stand with confidence before God and say, I'm justified. I'm declared righteous. Not because I did anything to earn it, but Jesus Christ did everything for me. And by grace, I have been saved through my faith in Christ. He says, for you, it's all those justified by faith. That's who he's talking to. You are something. It's a present reality in their life. And if you come to faith in, in, in Christ and you're here today, this is true of you. This is a present reality right here, right now. No reason to be confused. No reason to be concerned. This is true of you. Those justified by faith, which is a present reality, uh, it says that all of them, and what's the all? It's without exception. Every single justified person, justified by faith, it, this, what's coming next is true of them. It says they are sons. 
They're sons. They're family with God. The, the word is, is technically sons. But I think you can fairly, uh, especially with what's going to take place in, in verse 28, we can see that the, it's an appropriate, some of your translations say children. It's translated uh, uh, children. Because, and, and I want to emphasize one thing. In the context, what we see is a maturation, a maturity, a maturing has taken place. Because remember, not only were we slaves to sin because of the law, we were also under its tutelage. The law was given not to redeem us, but to help us understand we needed redeeming. We needed redemption by Christ. And so it says, you were no longer, once, and once faith came, look at, look at uh, chapter 3 in verse 25. It says, but after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. There has a, a change has been made. A person has gone from uh, a belief in the law to a faith in Christ. That's what Paul's saying. That's something that must happen. You can't trust in any, any law or any obedience of doing things to save you. You must come to faith in the person of Jesus Christ who fulfilled the law and that's when you become a child of God. So it says that because faith came, we're no longer under a tutor, and we're no longer in prison because we've come to faith. We are sons. We are children of God. This of God is the new identity. We're no, we're no longer children of the devil. We are now children of God. This is our new identity. And I think it's a reason to rejoice. He goes on to say, through faith in Jesus, in Christ Jesus. This word through means by means of. Well, how did, be, how did you become a child of God? Well, you, there was something happened. You didn't do it yourself. It didn't say through my good works. It doesn't say through my denomination. It doesn't say through my parents or my grandparents. It doesn't say through uh, any, anything. It says by means of. And it's by means of faith. And we'll talk about that word next. But one does not become a child of God apart from faith. Saving faith. A faith in Jesus as God's son who did what nobody else could do. Pay the debt of sin. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. So we see that word through. It's it's a very important word. It means that being son is something done for us not something we've done for ourselves. But it says through faith, that word faith is to trust, to believe. Uh, we, we talk about the five phases of discipleship, discover, believe, connect, serve, multiply. I say them quickly because if I pause too long, I'll forget the next one, right? But discover, believe, connect, serve, multiply. We want to help people discover Jesus. You discovered him. Why not help other people discover him? But then we talk about when you discover who Jesus is, you must come to faith. You must believe. And in our, in a, it's the idea of patterning your life, having a life patterned by belief. Discover who Jesus is. Come to faith in him and pattern your life that way. But he's saying you're all children of God through faith in, uh, which is to, to, to believe and trust in Christ Jesus. He is the object of saving faith. There is no alternative. Paul has already addressed that there are different Jesuses out there. And when I'm talking to someone and, and, they, and, and they say that they have a faith in Jesus, I ask them. I do, I do, and I'm not trying to be, you know, just for the fun of it. I'm saying, which Jesus? 
Because there are different Jesuses being promoted out there, but there's only one Jesus that saves, and that is the Jesus of the gospel as it's taught in Scripture. And specifically, the Bible, only because other denominations consider other books. uh, Scripture, I will say, through the Bible. So this is who we are. Our identity is one that is based on our faith in Jesus Christ. Pretty simple. Do you believe it? Is it making a difference in your life? Christians have an identity pictured in their water baptism. We do, we do baptisms right here or in Wasserman Park. And, and, uh, but think about this for a minute. This is going to be a challenge for anyone here who claims to be identified by the term Christian. Say, I have, I have come to saving faith. I'm identified with Christ. And you've not been baptized by immersion. Uh, I'm going to invite you to please... Be baptized by immersion, not for salvation. That is not what this text or any text of Scripture is teaching. We are, our, our baptism, our water baptism, is a picture of the spirit baptism that's already taken place. It's amazing. We talk about amazing love. Think about this for a minute. As a Christian, when you came to faith in Jesus Christ, one, you were declared righteous in God's eyes. Two, you became a child of God. Uh, Three, you were indwelled by the Holy Spirit. God dwells in you now. Four, you have the, the ability to discern what's going on in the world because you now have your eyes open to the words of Scripture. Five, and I'm making this up as I go. Five, we can sit here and we can look at the world from, from a filter of Scripture and it makes sense to us. All the idiocy that's going on in our world, we can say, yeah, God told us this was going to happen. But then we can even look further and say, yeah, but it's all going to consummate. God's going to bring it all together. And when we have confidence in our identity in Christ, we can, we can look at our problems and we can say, you know what? Uh, as I understand uh, Romans, Romans 8, you know, uh, where it says, um, and oh, quote this all the time, and now I'm afraid I'm going to forget it, so my mind is doing that little, I'm afraid I'm going to forget it, right? It's that idea of uh, there is now no, no, that's not it. It's the good works one. It's uh, uh, God thinks all things for good, right? Get me started, somebody. Yell it out. There. It is that one. I was wrong. See, I was right, but I was wrong. Now I'm right, and you're right. Okay, I was wrong. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ, right? That, that part I got. I got to look it up, all right, because I'm going to mess it up. And, and forgive me, but I get rolling, and, and uh, I get myself confused. I know where to find it. That's good news. Ah, oh, thank you. Romans 8, 28. And we know, yeah, I, we, I should know, right? And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. Who does God love? God loves his children. To those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. More, moreover, whom he predestined, 
These he also called, whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these also he he glorified. This is what we have as as our identity in Christ. And, And as we consider this wonderful text that even when we're going through difficult times, we know that it's just going to make us look more and more like Jesus Christ. All right. So forgive me for that confusion. Uh, unintentional. But we have this identity and it's pictured in our water baptism. He says in 27, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So this, as many of you, is more than likely referring to the all in the previous context. All those have been justified. If you've been justified, this is true of you. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So it's likely referring to all, all right? But there's an event which has already taken place for all these people. What event took place? They were baptized into Christ. Paul is calling these people to remembrance. This is a powerful passage for water baptism. Although there are those who believe it's talking about spiritual baptism, I'm saying Paul is calling them to remembrance. Our physical baptism is a picture of our spiritual baptism. When we came to faith, we were indwelled, we were immersed in the Holy Spirit. Our water baptism is a picture of our union with Christ on, on the cross where he died for our sins. It pictures our union with Christ in his death. When Jesus Christ died, we died, Paul says. And when he resurrected, when he came, when he resurrected, our baptism pictures the future resurrection for all those who are identified in Christ. It's a beautiful, powerful picture. The physical pictures the spiritual, and the spiritual is a joyful realization. For as many of you as were baptized in Christ have put on Christ. It's something that's already taken place. It's if they were baptized. We talked about are a little bit ago, right? You are something. It's a present reality. But this is also a present reality because it's, it's you were baptized. It was in the past, but it happened. And what did, what did that baptism mean? It mean that you put on Christ. Does your baptism mean that to you? I, I can ask myself the same question in the mirror, right? Greg, is your baptism, does that, does that mean you put on Christ? It ought to. Because the picture builds on the idea of taking off and putting on. Paul uses this terminology in Romans. He uses it in Ephesians. And it's the idea of putting off and putting on. Uh, in, in a baptismal context, in, uh, in later years, not in, not in Paul's day, all right? But in later years, the, 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 the early church you know, started practicing some pretty amazing things. One of them was when they went into the water, they took off their old clothes, went into the water naked, came out of the water after they were baptized, and put on new garments, new clothes. That practice is picturing this reality. This isn't, a, this isn't something they were practicing at, at Paul's day right now, but they, they would walk in. We, you've seen the movies. They walk into the water they are lowered, and they are raised again, right? Death, burial, and resurrection. They have put on Christ. The picture is building on the idea of taking off and putting on. It's the idea of the 2 Corinthians 5.17. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are coming new. It's a picture. Their life is characterized by the way of Christ. 
You can call it the way of Christ, the way of the cross. You can call it any number of things, different terminology, but it's the idea that our life is to be characterized by something because of what has taken place in our lives, because of what Jesus has done. He's saying, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. Think about what that meant for them. They're in the Roman world. At this particular time, it is not popular to be a Christian. In, in a very short time, and maybe it's already happening, you have Christians who are dying in the arena because of their faith. They're saying, you've put on Christ. You've made a public profession of your identity with Christ. You've done it. It's real. It's genuine. It is not, as some commentators pointed out, your baptism didn't just mean, it wasn't something that was just tacked on at the beginning and end of a worship service. It was something that meant something powerful. And our baptisms still have that power to remind us that we are identifying ourselves with Christ. We have put on Christ, and our life is to be characterized by it. When we stand in the baptismal waters and we're lowered and we're raised again, it's not just identifying what happened in the past, which it does. I'm already saved. Right? And this is a picture of my salvation. But it's also a commitment saying, but I'm identifying as Christ from this point forward. I want to live my life in response to what Jesus Christ has done for me. My identity is found in Christ. So it's based on our faith in Christ. It's pictured in our water baptism. It's shared by the community of faith. We all have this shared identity. Isn't it nice to come together and know that we have something in common. We have a shared faith. We have a shared baptism. But we, we exercise this in community. We're not just saved unto ourselves. We're saved into a community of believers. We are called to not forsake the assembly of, uh, together, right? We're supposed to live life together. He says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. I just wanted to emphasize that's the point. We'll talk about the other things in a minute, but he's talking about the unity that we have as Christians, as genuine believers. We are all one. There are no factions and fractures within the children of God in the sense of relationship with God. And now certainly we've, had, we've seen church splits. Maybe you've been part of one. I never have. But regardless, all genuine believers have this identity and we are all one in Christ Jesus, whether we get along or not. But there's no ethnic, social, or gender requirements for salvation. Ethnic, Jew nor Greek. The Jews did not like the Greeks. The Greeks did not like the Jews. It's just that was the, that was the world at the time. There's not slave nor free. There's, there's no social standing when we come to the cross. We talk about the cross being, you know, the ground is level of the cross. We all come to salvation with the same need and with the same answer to that need. So our ethnicity doesn't get in the way of salvation. Our, our social standing doesn't get in the way of salvation. Uh, neither does our gender get in the way of our salvation. Now notice what Paul is saying here. None of these are obstacles to coming to faith. He's dealing in the context of Galatians. With, they, were, they were being presented with obstacles. You have to get circumcised to get saved. You have to obey the law to get saved. Paul's saying, no, 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 no. God did away with all that. Remember Peter and Cornelius? 
wow. And, and, and Peter goes, gives a report on, on what happened because they were all upset that, that he had baptized uh, a, a Gentile. He's like, hey, man, the Holy Spirit manifested himself the same way in Cornelius' life that he did in ours. I'm not going to fight God. I think that guy's saved. The gospel's for the Gentiles. Who knew? Well, God did. So there's no Jew or, or Greek, no slave or free, neither male nor female. There's no obstacle to coming to faith. There's no addition to the gospel. You are all one in Christ Jesus. It's all one in faith. So there's no, there's no uh, requirements for salvation. But notice this. The Jews who got saved were Christian Jews. They didn't cease being Jew. The Greeks didn't cease being Greek. The slaves didn't cease being slaves. The free, uh, the slave masters or those who are free didn't cease because of anything, right? Uh, the males were still males and the females were still m- m- females. It, it, it is the reality. There's still variety in the body of Christ. We're not talking about roles. We're not talking about functions within the church in this text. We are just saying that there is no obstacle to you coming to faith in Jesus Christ. There's no obstacle to that person in your office or in your family. There's no obstacle for them. Share Jesus with them. And when they bring the obstacles up, tell them that's not an obstacle for God. Just come to faith in Christ. His grace will save you. It is sufficient. Christians have an identity that's shared. And by the way, we seek to share this community, this, this, this identity. This is the theme of the year, right? Christ in us reveals Christ to our community. Our community is going to see a poor picture of Christ if, if we're bickering and arguing. Praise God we're not doing that. I'm just telling you, let's not do that. But as they see us living in unity, as uh, that shared identity, they will see Christ in us because he's there. Lastly, we see that Christians have an identity that's secure in the promise of God. We sang about this earlier, and, uh, and so uh, I hope you understand this idea of promise. But he says, and if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed, right? And heirs according to the promise. I didn't highlight the if, but the if there is uh, in the Greek, again, there's the expectant answer of if with an expectant answer of yes, if with an expectant answer of no, and if with the possibility of, hey, it could go either way. This particular if says, no, this is an expected reality. This is, this is true. If you are a Christ, he's saying, yeah, you're, you're of Christ." If, and, and, and if you're of Christ, you are of Abraham's seed, which is what he talked about earlier. But let, let's just pause here for a minute. Paul said earlier that the seed was Jesus. Remember the capital S, seed? He said, he made a point. He was like, listen, in the logic of thinking through this stuff, uh, as, as, uh, as the word came forth to Abraham that in your seed all the earth will be blessed, uh, it wasn't seeds, plural, it was seed one. And Paul said it was of Jesus Christ, the seed of Abraham, the fulfillment of the promise. That's what you have to come to faith in. But here he's saying, then you are Abraham's seed, little s. What's the relationship between little s seed, us, and big s seed, Jesus? Well, notice, if you are Christ's, if you are in him, If you are in the capital S seed, you are a little s seed. That's what Paul's trying to explain to them. Stop trusting in the law. Trust in Christ. Abraham believed, and it was counted to him for righteousness. He didn't do any outward uh, uh, ritual or sacrament. He came to faith. He was a person of faith. 
And you, by coming to faith in Abraham's seed, become also the seed of Abraham. And as a seed, you are an heir according to the promise. So an heir is a child who has matured and is therefore able to receive an inheritance. This is the idea in the context that we are no longer uh, under the tutelage of the law. We've matured to faith. And as a, as a, as a um, uh, benefit of that faith, as a child of God, you will receive an inheritance, and that inheritance is secure. I think it is. First Peter tells us it's secure for us in heaven. It's the already but not yet. We're already children of God but we are not living in His presence yet, in His full manifestation that we will be allowed to experience in in heaven. But He says, an heir according to the promise. So we are children, but we are children who have an inheritance that is secure for us. And this is why we can say no other gospel gives sinners the new identity of children of God. No other gospel can offer you what the true gospel offers you. And we want to offer you to come to faith in the true gospel, which tells us about the true Christ, the one who died for you and will receive you and forgive you of your sins if you will just repent and believe in him. Believers often have an identity crisis. Maybe you're having one. I hope not. But let me just share a few things with you. I kind of summed it up this way. It'll just be another couple of minutes. But it says what we were. We were children of Satan. We covered that. But now we are children of God. There's a reason to rejoice and have confidence. We were characterized by separation. The world is characterized by factions and and this group saying that they're better than this group. And because this group has these rights, I want these rights over here. And and it's all about factions and separating ourselves and and getting it's it's the it's the Tower of Babel. We want to come together. God disperses, but when that dispersion dispersion took place, everybody they, they took their sinfulness with them. And their selfishness. And we were characterized by separation. But when we came to Christ as a church, we are called, we are characterized by unity. That is the beauty of the church. We were transgressors according to the law of God. That's what what he tells us in the previous context. But now we are heirs according to the promise of God. We just sang it. It was a beautiful song. These are reasons to rejoice. So we are different from what we once were. And I hope you can say that. Can you say that you were, there was a time in your life that you were different than the way you are now? Now I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I identify with Christ. Prior to that, prior to my identify, identifying with Christ, I actually believed something else, practiced other things. But I know there was this time in my life where a change took place. We are different as a Christian from what we once were. I hope that's true of you. If not, let's talk about the gospel. Therefore, we should be characterized by thankfulness. We didn't do it on ourselves. This is something God did in our life. We are different from those who do not know Jesus Christ as Savior. Remember those people who are having a crisis of identity because they don't know? We're different from them. So therefore, we should be characterized by compassion. We should be seeking to, to introduce others to Jesus Christ. What makes us different does not make us better. This one actually goes down sideways for me. When I see Christians exalting in their position in Christ, and the way it usually is fleshed out is uh, because we believe this, uh, we just so dis- uh, disagree with others that we, we, we treat them as if they're second class. We can't do that, folks. 
We are different because of what Christ has done in our lives. And these people don't know any better, so we need to be characterized by humility. We need to be characterized. The gospel saved us when we did not deserve saving. And the gospel can save others who don't deserve it either. But we need to seek to expand the family of God because we need to see more children of Satan become children of God by faith in Jesus. So no other gospel gives sinners the new identity of children of God. So let's not live in crisis. Let's live in confidence that we are children of God. And let's help others discover Jesus as well. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these four verses. There's so much packed in them. But for anyone who has been around Christianity for any length of time would say, yeah, this is some pretty basic stuff. Haven't heard it in a while, maybe, but it's pretty basic stuff. Father, help us to understand we are called to do something with these basic truths that we say we believe. We're supposed to get excited about them. We're supposed to uh, recognize that our identity in Christ comes with a responsibility a responsibility to wake up in the morning and seek your purpose in our life. To wake up in the morning and see others as you see them. To come here on Sunday and legitimately worship our Savior who redeemed us from our sin. Father, help us to be that community of believers who are so fully identifying with Christ that we see the unity within the body and the world sees Christ in us. We pray for those who do not have this identity. We pray that you would lead those who are lost. Those who are in a crisis of identity. They don't even know it. Lord, I pray that you'd lead them to us. To us in our homes, to us in our workplaces, to us here in this gathering together so that we might individually or corporately share the gospel with them so that they may come to faith. And, Father, we pray as we continue to live out our faith that we would do it with confidence, with excitement, giving you all glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.